Hey everyone, welcome back to Apex Mind. Adam here as always to help you to get better at making other people better. Many of us know about the perception and reality in many situations that many companies' training teams are not providing value to both the workers and to the business. You know, I found some interesting stats in an article on Business Wire, and I'll put the link in the show notes if you'd like to look at the article. But these these stats were really, really cool. So first off, only 23% of workers and 22% of leaders viewed their organization's current work por- workplace training as extremely effective. So, I mean, that's a vast majority of people are finding it to be ineffective Definitely a concern from the survey that was conducted here. Um, but then a, a similar thing that I think shows a, a different side of this is 55% of workers are are stating that L&D programs increase job satisfaction and employees' morale. So more than half there are saying that they want programs, they want training from their organization. And it broke it down to what they're looking for. 80% of people want new skills. About two-thirds of people want confidence in their current role. And a little over half want access to new opportunities, meaning they want to be able to move into new jobs. So if you look at these stats, first off, a majority of people want training from their organization. And then also a majority of people, both workers and leaders, are saying that their current offerings being given to them are missing the mark. Um, that's certainly concerning. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot we can take from those stats, but, you know, we've already had a number of episodes of this show that have discussed techniques to drive performance, how to deliver effective training, how to influence senior leaders and, and just a ton of other topics. So if you're looking for the tactical stuff to make your training better, um, there are other episodes, and I'll, I'll reference a few of them here that are refer, um, that are kind of tied to what we're talking about today, but that's not what this episode's about. We're not talking about traditional training or L&D skills. Um, I'm going to assume for the purposes of today's episode that you already have good training content. It's organized well, it's written well, it's you've talk to your stakeholders and you're driving the right things and you have performance support tools and all those things. I'm going to assume you have those. If you don't, you have 40 some odd other episodes. You can go check out on a variety of topics, look back through our content catalog and check those out. But today we are going to specifically look at skills that are not really normally associated with training or L and D teams. um, But they are ones that people in this field should master in order to be more effective. And if you look at the name of the episode, you know, five unconventional skills that training teams need, you know, these are things that aren't really talked about enough in, in the industry. And if, if you're in any kind of training, L&D, enablement, learning, whatever you call it at your organization, if you're in one of those roles, don't just focus on content and design and, and the traditional skills. Absolutely learn those. But these other skills are things that you need to learn as well. Let's start it off with the first one, which is influence. And in fact, um, this is going to be a real short um, discussion of influence today. If you want to go back to episode 17, it was done a while ago. I had a whole episode on influence, and actually it's a very similar topic to this right here. Um, that, That was actually a pretty popular episode. It seems like a lot of people resonated with that content. But influence is a valuable skill to be able to not only 
have a greater effect on the people that you're training and developing, we obviously have to influence them if we want them to change their behavior and change their performance. But also, we want to have influence over leaders of the business and people in other work groups. Maybe we're working with stakeholders and SMEs and it's hard to get them to partner with us or to do things. Influence is a very valuable skill to be able to get others to do what you need them to do. Um, th- this this is something that's especially true if you don't have a um, very senior title. Maybe you're not the head of the organization. You might be um, an instructional designer. You might just be a manager of a team or something where you may not have the uh, authority to throw your weight around based on your title. And so influence techniques are very, very valuable to get people to do what you want them to do. So I'll go through these, these six uh, um, tips for influence. These are actually pulled from one of my favorite books. Um, if you ever see any of the, the videos of the podcast, I have my, my big bookshelf that has all my books. And then I have my little bookshelf that has like my short amount of books that I'm referencing all the time. And it's about eight different books. And one of those is this one, which is called just called Influence. And it's by uh, the author's name is Robert Cialdiani. It's an older book. There is actually a second edition that came out more recently. Best-selling book, um, incredibly popular. You'll probably see it on a lot of like top book lists for different uh, you know biz- business leaders and so on. I'll link it in the show notes if you're looking at checking that one out. But there's essentially six techniques to create more influence that he goes over in the book. And I'm going to be very, very quick in going through them. If you want more detail, you can either A, listen to episode 17 that we did a while back, or B, buy his book. And uh, it's a great read. It doesn't take too long. And it's got a lot of valuable stuff in it. So the first one is reciprocity. And essentially, the idea behind reciprocity is if you do something for someone else, they're going to have a natural innate um, need to do something back for you. I'm going to just say for any of these techniques, you probably will see these done by, let's just say, nefarious individuals, maybe skeezy salespeople or, or whatnot, or maybe people trying to manipulate others. So these things can be used for ill will as well. Um, and, you know, you see this sometimes with the the salesperson who tries to give you the the free sample. And, and maybe this is a little bit more innocent, but I remember back going to food courts when I was younger, going to a mall and you'd walk by the the restaurant and they'd give you a little sample. Well, they're giving you a little sample, hoping that you take that gift from them and then you pay them back by getting lunch there. Also, you know, you check out the food to see if you'd like it. But, you know, reciprocity is, is given. We see this with like timeshare presentations where they give you that discounted weekend and you got to sit the timeshare and they hope that that's going to get you to buy tons and tons of different ways to do this. But, you know, you think about from a, a training organization, um, I always think to be doing this ethically, I always want to do things for others without expecting anything in return. So I'm not going to help that senior leader out or give free advice or go help this um, team or business leader out because I'm expecting them to come back and help me with training or give me budget for something or whatever. I'm doing it because I really want to do that. And then it's going to naturally come back to me. Maybe not every time. Reciprocity is not a perfect thing. Sometimes people won't pay you back, so to speak. But there is a natural innate thing for people to do if they receive a gift or they receive something from you to want to pay you back. So the lesson from that is to do things for others for the sake of doing it for them and helping them out and providing value. And 
as long as you provide that value, you should be getting things back at least sometimes and it will pay dividends. The second technique for influence is called commitment and consistency. And what this means is that people tend to um, follow through with their commitments and they tend to make decisions that are consistent with their past decisions. Um, you can see this all over the uh, place with people who are, um, you know, kind of stuck in their ways. Um, you know, people with politics, you'll, you'll stick with your political team and your political party possibly for your whole life, regardless of anything. And you'll just consistently do that. Or people will have uh, certain restaurants that they consistently go to. And so, um, you know, there, there's different ways to do this in regards to influence. Um, sometimes salespeople do it in a, in a way where they're going to collect yeses. They'll get you to start saying yes to things that are more obvious. So you're more likely to say yes to the sale. And once again, I'm not suggesting doing it in any kind of nefarious way, but you can even do that. You're talking to a business leader. Hey, you want your team to perform better, right? And they say yes. And you start leading them down this, this way of saying yes and yes and yes. And then you're trying to get to that final question of, well, I have this solution for you. And you want them to say yes to that too. Also with commitment and consistency, um, whenever you can, you'll notice that um, it's definitely something I've gotten better at lately, but having a consistent release schedule for this podcast, or I like to release things on my social media outlets in a consistent fashion, because I want the people that I interact with to know what to expect from me. And so in whatever way you can with your training organization, also do the same thing. Be consistent and follow through on your commitments and get them to commit to you whenever you can. Um, the third one, and you've probably seen this all over the place, is called social proof. We are all more likely to make decisions when someone that is either like us or someone that we know and trust makes that decision and makes that recommendation for us. That's why a ton of companies have people do recommendations to their friends. Um, sometimes they'll even give um, you know some sort of credit or, or benefit to people who refer do referrals. Um, social proof is done in commercials all the time. You see the the man on the street, quote unquote, type of uh, advertising where it's just a regular person that represents the target market for the company that's giving their opinion or nine out of 10, 10 dentists agree with this toothpaste, right? Um, so the way you can use social proof is first off, prove yourself to people. But if you can start getting champions um, business leaders that are, you know, giving testimonials or recommending a solution that you provided to other business leaders, that's going to come across a lot more convincing to them than if you uh, just try to sell them on it yourself. Uh, the fourth influence technique is called liking. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because most L&D people are pretty likable generally. So just, you know, if you're likable, people are more likely to want to go with what you're offering. Uh, number five is authority. Um, authority is if you are an expert, um, that people are going to trust you more. Now this can be tough for someone in a training role because you may not have the authority that the senior leader does or the person who's a subject matter expert. So you have to just be an authority in your area. You know about training, you know, what drives performance and you can partner with the authorities in different areas of subject matter expertise. And the last um, part of influence is scarcity. Now, scarcity, obviously, we don't want to make training scarce. But if you make your available time scarce, don't make your calendar too open. Only give certain like 
times of your schedule for open office hours or things like that. When things are scarce, they're more valuable. So don't just offer yourself open for anything. Hey, I can help you with whatever you need. Maybe just offer yourself up to help, you know, at certain times or with certain things. And if you're more scarce, you're going to be more valuable and you can see that principle available all over the place. So I'll link to that book. Um, I'll also link to the episode. So it's episode 17. The book is called Influence by Robert Cialdiani. And I'll actually link another episode because we just did one just not too long ago that talked about influencing senior leaders. And I think that was real tied into this too. So I'll link those if you haven't listened to those two episodes. The first skill that you need that you may not have is influence. And the second skill that you need that you may not have is marketing. Um, your training programs can be the best things that have ever been developed, but if it, it really won't matter unless they're marketed appropriately. So people know how to take advantage of them. Um, you know, it's, it's the whole, if you build it, they will come. That is not necessarily true. Um, and, and the empty uh, LMS catalogs that are all over existence, and I don't want to say empty, but, uh, you know, full but not being utilized properly is, is proof of this, right? Or you might um, offer a training session and nobody comes or you don't get as much turnout as you were expecting. You know, if, if you have content that's quality, and, and like I said up front, I'm assuming you do, but if you have content that's quality or a training solution that is good, but if people don't know what it is and how it can help them, how to get to it, it's really not going to drive impact. And so being able to market your solutions to the people you're trying to serve is incredibly important. You know, and then also when you send out communications, I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen the generic email invite that goes through Outlook or whatever your system that your company is using. And it's just the boring thing that says next Tuesday at 9 a.m. There's the training session and here's the link to Teams, you know, and it's just there's no pizzazz. There's no fun to it. And so you got to make sure it's attractive. You don't want it to be stuffy. Make it look appealing to people because, you know, a lot of people, they're not necessarily going to want to step away from their work to go some boring training session that's happening. So make it sound attractive and make them know what they're going to get out of it. Um, and you don't necessarily have to be an expert on marketing. There are just some real basic things you can learn to, to be effective. Um, but just knowing a little bit about it can help people to show up more and engage. Uh, I'm going to link to a, a really good book by Seth Godin. You probably heard about him. He's uh, very famous within a lot of business circles. The book is called This is Marketing. You can't be seen until you learn to see. It's a great book I've read. I recommend it to everyone. And also, if you all don't know who she is um, or have heard of her, there's someone named Ashley Sinclair. Um, she, I know she's at least on LinkedIn. She runs an organization out of the UK where she actually offers marketing services to L&D teams. So she's specialized in this area of marketing for L&D. So I'll make sure I include you know, a link to her if you haven't connected with her or you, know, you might be interested in what she has to offer. Um, and that book from Seth Godin, I think is really great, like foundation for people who are just getting into marketing. Um, the third one I think goes hand in hand with those first two. So with influence and with marketing, the third skill that I think every single person needs to get at least some foundational skills at is copywriting. Now, copywriting is something that, um, 
it's a very old skill and, and traditionally it was associated with, you know, old marketing. If you ever got those old flyers that had, uh, you know, ads or, or the old magazine ads. Now you see a lot of copywriting that's happening on social media and online as well. But essentially what copywriting is, is writing in a way that is clear and concise in order to influence people. And so it's used in sales and marketing a lot, but it doesn't have to only be for sales and marketing. Um, and this could be used for your training content. It could be used for any communications that you send. And essentially, it's just like I said, it's short and persuasive comms um, for influencing and marketing. You know, I, this isn't trying to really necessarily teach you copywriting in this episode, but it is a skill. If you look it up, there is tons of stuff. You can find people on social media. You can find books and so on. Um, one, one really good resource, and since I haven't recommended any podcasts in this episode, if you look up the Ogilvy podcast, which I'll link to, David Ogilvy was a very famous marketer. Um, and that podcast talks about marketing and copywriting and all those things. And another resource that I'll recommend if you've never used it or heard of it is Hemingway app. And I'll, I'll put the link in there as well. But Hemingway app is, um, a free tool. It's web-based and allows you to copy and paste any text that you write into it. And it evaluates your text on readability um, grammar and so on. So I know that there's tools like Grammarly, but I feel like Hemingway app is very specific to making your stuff readable. Ideally, um, you want your stuff readable at like a fifth or sixth grade level if you can. And I'll notice that um, prior to using this a few years ago, I would write with all these verbose words and, you know, complex sentences and, you know, very, very uh, more collegiate style writing, which is not ideal for many situations. You want your stuff as readable as possible, obviously depending on your audience, but I would say a lot of us are appealing to, um, not to professors in a school or in a university or people that need real high level writing. Um, if you're doing technical writing, maybe just disregard this, but for most of us, if we're writing training content or comms or, or things within internal systems, we want it to be very easy to read for all employees. And so use that Hemingway app, copy and paste your text in there. And it really helps you to streamline um, your text into easy to read stuff. And, and if I can make my stuff readable at the fifth grade level, I think that's great. I do that for a lot of my, my posts and my writing. All right. So number three was copywriting. Number four is agile design and agile. Um, you might also hear this referred to as safe agile. Um, there's a lot of different, um, methodologies that are for this, but, but agile was something that was originally developed in the software space. So, um, what happened with a lot of the companies in the last 20 years, a lot of tech companies, a lot of software companies is being, being speed to market was very important and, and, you know, kind of gone were the days of the old way of having a fully developed product and getting it out to market. They had to get something to market that was not necessarily the final version, get feedback from the customers and iterate or update it over time. Now, this is something, like I said, it's very popular with software development companies. If you look up stuff on agile design, either the books on it or stuff that, that's out there on social media or on YouTube, a lot of it is more um, geared towards software designers and, and more tech fields, not necessarily geared towards L&D. You might start going down rabbit holes of, um, 
Kanban boards and all sorts of um, processes that may or may not work for your organization. So if I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest learning everything about it unless it works for what you do, but that methodology, there's a few things that I think do work and I've worked on a um, organization in the past and I am really appreciative that the leader of that group helped to run this for our team. Um, whereas instead of the older L and D method, which was, you're going to take forever to analyze and develop. And maybe six months later, you have a product to market. And by then the business has moved on from you. But instead of that, um, agile design focuses on shorter periods of time to work and release something. And those shorter periods of time are generally called sprints. Sometimes they're done as quickly as two weeks. You want to have some sort of output within two weeks. Um, and then you, you, the thing you're getting to market, like I said, is not finalized. It's considered what's called an MVP or a minimum viable product. So, you know, you think about a lot of these uh, tech companies or these apps, the first version of those apps were not as many features as the apps have today. I mean, if you think about Facebook back in 2008, it was very different than Facebook today. And so you take that same concept of having the minimum viable product or that, that thing you can get to market or to your people that you're supporting quickly, and then you update it over time. And um, I remember specifically, I was working on a project a couple of years ago where, um, I'll, I'll be quick on this, but there there was a business need identified where a work group wasn't, um, they, they had a metric that was an outlier and they weren't following some processes. And obviously after the analysis, um, instead of releasing a full suite of of solutions, I released um, a, a training, and then two weeks later, I released a different training. These were all on different aspects of of addressing the problem. While doing that, is I, I was also over time updating some of the resources, and then a few weeks later, we determined that maybe there was a operational check in. So working with the operations team and the the target work group that was having this outlier metric, we were meeting once a week to identify um, problem areas. And so all these things were happening. And so, you know, after about three months, the project was completed, but I started seeing results after two weeks because I released something. I released that first training that was a smaller, more targeted training after two weeks. And then I started hearing back feedback that helped me to shape those future solutions. So really with that agile design, you don't have to know everything about it, but what we do want to know is be customer focused. So focused on what your customers or the people you support need, release a product, a minimum viable product, something that you can get to market quick, and then update or iterate over time. Um, Like I said, a lot of the resources may not be specific to what you do. Um, but I will link to a a cool video on YouTube um, called "What Is Agile Methodology?" That's a pretty short video that goes over some of the basics. So I'll, I'll include that in the show notes as well. And our last um, tool or technique that you need that you may not have today is coaching. And you know, too often L and D professionals think that coaching is something that the leaders of the work group that they support should be doing. And Obviously, depending on the structure of your organization, you may not be doing a lot of formal coaching, but you may be um, helping those leaders to coach the employees. Or maybe if you're doing training sessions, you might have to coach during um, practice activities. You know, too often those practice activities don't have targeted feedback and coaching in them. 
And, and that can be more valuable for people to walk away with, um, more, more targeted skills. And so, um, I'll include a link to a book called the coaching habit, say less, ask more and change the way you lead forever. It's a really great book that is good for a lot of people in more of a management realm. But I think anyone who wants to learn about coaching should, should read that book as well, but always a, a, a basic model for coaching that, that I always found was useful and you, you've probably heard this before, or you may have at least heard this before, is you talk about what someone did well and, and not just um, talk about it, but I always like to identify the specific thing. So instead of just saying, hey, you were good at this skill, you actually say, hey, you were good with this skill and here's how you did it. And also here's the impact of that. So I, I say what it was, what the impact of it, and give a specific example. Um, and, and that's usually like a praise or an acknowledgement of what to do well or to keep doing. After that's done, then you provide an opportunity or something missed and you're, you're following that same model with the opportunity or thing missed. Hey, here's that thing you missed. Um, the specific example of when I saw that or didn't see that skill being done and then the impact of not doing that. And then you end on a suggestion. So what you can do in the future is you can do these things that will help you to execute that next time. So that, you know, I've heard it called the POS model, praise, opportunity, suggestion. But the really important thing is identifying the specific examples and also what the impact of doing or not doing those things was, not just giving the praise and the opportunity and the suggestion. Um, so those are our five things. Once again, influence, marketing, copywriting, agile design, coaching. I know I gave a ton of resources in this episode, far more than the average one. So you'll see a lot of links in the show notes to books and podcasts and videos and other episodes that were referenced and so on. But that is it. There you have it for this episode. And remember, we have new episodes launch every week. The shorter, actionable episodes are launching every Thursday, as well as interviews launching every Monday. Um, and you know what? We're getting close to episode 50. This one is number 46. Pretty soon we'll be at 50. I really want to thank everybody for listening as we've been growing this show over the course of this year. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that this show just launched back in January of this year and, you know, 2022 is not even over yet and we're already getting close to episode 50. There's definitely more to come in these next few weeks, but I do want to set some expectations that there are going to be a few changes that are happening starting on episode 50. So two weeks from today, you will see a few changes, nothing incredibly drastic. We're not like changing the direction of the show too much. Um, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit, bit more in the next few weeks, but just setting your expectation that um, starting on 50, you'll see some changes around here and you don't have to worry about resubscribing or finding something new. It's going to all be happening on this same feed. So if you're subscribed in a podcast player or to the RSS feed, um, you know, everything that's going to be changing will just be coming to this exact same place where you're getting the show today. You know, essentially we are laser focused on that mission that we've talked about a ton of times on here, which is to help you to get better at making other people better. Um, and, and really just some, some tweaks to that approach to help us to help you all to do that more and to, to really drive that mission forward. Um, but more to come in the next few weeks, but everybody, thank you for listening. As always, I'd really appreciate it if you could tell two people about Apex Mind, um, just some people that you think would benefit from the content, whether it be this episode or a previous one that you've listened to. And then also, if you haven't done so yet, this only takes 30 seconds of your time to do so. 
Um, please give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it and a written review in your podcast player of choice. Those things really help out with the podcast algorithms and help us to stand out versus the incredibly large number of other podcasts that exist out there. But all right, everybody, go and help someone to be better than they were yesterday. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.